Making it in business isn't about spreadsheets, this or that. It's about guts, tenacity, and above all, street smarts. Join Sarah Shaw as she talks with successful entrepreneurs about all the hard-won lessons they've learned on the mean streets of the business world. If you've ever felt stuck, stifled, or even just scared to get out there and make your mark, you'll learn how even the most successful entrepreneurs overcame failure and found the power to move forward. So forget about learning about business in school, because all you need to make it big is a street smart MBA. And here's your host, Sarah Shaw. Hey there, Sarah Shaw here with another episode of Get a Street Smart MBA. And I am here today with Ryan Williams, who is an author, keynote speaker, and former stand-up comedian. Maybe we'll get a joke. He authored the book, The Influencer Economy, which is a top seller on Amazon. And in his book, he teaches readers how to launch their stories, collaborate with influencers, and thrive in the digital age. And I'm really stoked to talk to him because you guys are all wanting to reach out to influencers and figure out how to get more people to your website and get more sales into stores and who, you know, who's going to be the one that helps kind of push you over the edge. So welcome, Ryan. I'm really excited to talk to you. Thank you, Sarah. I'm really pumped to be here. Very uh, uh, excited that you and I uh, both work in the world of influencers and we can talk about it. I know. It's so exciting. Um, so I kind of want – I love the name influencer economy. I mean, it's just – I don't know. It's clever, and it's something I think people remember. So how did you come up with that? Actually, that's a – question I've never been asked on a podcast. Wow. And, okay. uh, yeah. Leave it um, to me. I, well, I coined, yeah, I coined the term, and I was working at a company called Machinima.com, and it's a big gaming network on YouTube. Uh, the company eventually sold to Warner Brothers, and when I was there, it was an early stage startup, and we are getting 4 billion video views a month on YouTube, and people wow. were playing Call of Duty and World of Warcraft. And eventually they were playing the game called Minecraft. Right. And uh, it was very early in our company. We were solving problems, helping these YouTube influencers uh, monetize their audiences. And it's funny, funny stories. Like we had this kid who had forged a contract with us, and we were cutting him uh, $30,000 checks quarterly <laughs> for playing Call of Duty, um, it, like literally in his basement. And so his uh, mom called us up because we were a big startup. You know, we'd raised a lot of um, outside funding, and she demanded to know why her son was getting $120,000 a year. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> when I saw that happen, I felt like, oh, my God, there's this new revolution of people online with uh, influence mm. and that they're growing amazing communities of subscribers, and they're not celebrities. They're not famous in the conventional sense of the word but they're new uh, leaders in this new economy. Right. And so I was really excited. I was on a flight, and I grabbed the domain, influencereconomy.com. I was thrilled that it was available. And then another little known fact is people should always get the for their company as well. Right. And so I bought theinfluencereconomy.com, and then I was super nervous that someone else would uh, steal the term from me. So I, I wrote a quick blog post about how I saw this bartering and exchanging of ideas online to you know, assert myself in Google so people could find me as the person that had uh, created this new methodology. 
And then did you trademark it? I, funny, I did. <laughs> but <laughs> I wanted to write a book. And you can't <laughs> trademark books. So I spent like, way have, too much money. You, have, you can if you have two. Oh, you have two? <laughs> okay. You have, well. you have two books that are sort of, the, that would, it would have to be like influencer economy and then something influencer economy. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah, I wasn't at that stage. I spent hundreds of dollars trademarking something that didn't need to be trademarked. Got and, and so, yeah, I, I uh, ended up, my philosophy is like if your stuff is available in Google and you own the first search term or the oldest search term, that mm-hmm. that would be more of a way to hold up in court than even a trademark in the conventional sense. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I was, I, I was always meeting people that I would tell about the influencer economy and then they would come up to me like six months later and say, I got this idea, Ryan, it's called the influencer economy and let's write a book together. And I was like, wait a second, you're pitching me what I, what I told you I was doing. Right. And so that's what, <laughs> Ding that, dong. That's what, yeah, that's what I knew I had something. Um, and, uh, and so I, I had worked a lot of different jobs at, uh, startups. One was acquired by Disney, and we launched all the social media analytics for Pixar and all these big brands. And then Machinima, we, you know, we helped launch the video game Minecraft with our YouTube influencers. Um, and then I went to another company, State.com, and uh, that was based in London. So I was going back and forth, and it took me a while to really, you know, as we've talked about writing a book, you know, it's, it's a journey. And so, yeah. you know, getting the domain was really important for me because it made it official. And then I started my podcast, which helped me interview people for the book. And, you know, then over time, you know, I really evolved it. And now I, I love talking about, you know, how people can turbocharge uh, their businesses through collaboration, especially with influencers. Yes. And that's what we're going to talk about. So excited. Yeah. I love how, how it's funny. When I um, first started my company, it was called Entrepreneur, not Sarah Shaw Consulting. And I had been trying, somebody had suggested that I start consulting and teaching people how to do what I do. And I was like, that is the dumbest idea I've ever heard. <laughs> and I was like, who's going to pay me to, for me to, and they're like, uh, lots of people need your help. And, you know, so I was pregnant with my, tw- with the twins. And so this was in 2007. And I, was up at three o'clock in the morning with my usual walking around the house with back pain. And I was thinking, you know, what could I do? You know, what could I call this company? Like what's a female entrepreneur and entrepreneur just came to me at three o'clock in the morning. So like you on the airplane, I sat down and I was like, entrepreneur.com, entrepreneur, this and that. And I must have bought like 15 domains. But meanwhile, I was going to the USPTO because I wasn't going to write a book at the time. And so I was trademarking it and, you know, doing all, and like by 5 o'clock in the morning, I'd like the whole thing was buttoned up. <laughs> oh, wow, that's amazing. And um, it was pretty funny. Um, yeah, I didn't, I, I, I had a glass of wine and then I was like, I'm buying tons of domains. I'm the same way. It's like I always yeah. am fearful that someone's going to buy the domain that I want and I'll regret yes. that, that I didn't buy it. And if I have yeah. a beer or a glass of wine, then I'm always more likely to buy a lot of domains. <laughs> Yeah. I may have a problem, but I'm right, okay I with have it. A domain, I have owned a lot of domains, too. Um, kind of like any class I come up with or anything I think sounds clever, I just go and buy it if it's available. Cause I just figure if I thought of it and it's available, I should just get it. Um, and for people, li- people listening to the podcast, I found psychologically you know, through my research that when people buy domains, it actually makes things more real. 
Yeah. And the second you add a, a domain, you host a WordPress blog on it, which is what I did. Um, I asked a friend for a logo. He made me something quick and dirty that looked like a book cover for the influencer economy. Nothing was perfect, but the more official it became and the more I could share a blog post with someone, then that's really when you put one foot in front of the other and you can start building your business off of other platforms and, and hosting something on your own website. Yes, totally. And then, it's, and then it becomes real, every step you take towards making it real. Yeah, so I, um, I'm glad we're both domain junkies. Yeah. <laughs> I like, I'm, sure, I'm sure your GoDaddy account's bigger than mine. Um, <laughs> I dumped a lot of them in the last year. Um, as, have I, as have I. I did a purge. Yeah, yeah. It always, it always feels good, too. Um, so how did you become an expert at influencing? I mean, obviously working at these, you know, these startups and, you know, geez, I hope you had stock in those, but they acquired by Disney and Warner Brothers. But, um, so, but I mean, did that, did your earlier career in working for these startups help you? I mean, cause you were mentioning that this kid was the Minecraft genius and that you saw, you know, all the followers and everything. Is that kind of what? got you going on this? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, as mentioned, I'm a former stand-up comedian, and I always loved connecting with audiences. And I was a much better marketing uh, professional when it came to stand-up comedy shows and mm-hmm. helping venues book comedians and getting uh, comedy festivals off the ground, then actually performing and being the star on stage. So I love marketing. I love helping other people tell their stories. And when I was at Machinima, you know, really watching Minecraft, explode and seeing it get acquired by Microsoft with $2.5 billion was jaw dropping because we had launched the game and done a, a live stream where we played Minecraft with the game's creator, this guy Notch. And he had come in town from Sweden and he was going to Mexico uh, with his girlfriend at the time. And we convinced him on his way home to stop through our Hollywood studio, which was uh, really ugly and crappy and unrefined. In, uh, in the worst section of Hollywood, as you know. It can get grimy <laughs> over there. Uh-huh. And we, uh, we, we had him on our couch, and we ended up crashing Minecraft.com and you know, helping with the <laughs> alpha and the beta, and the web, his website went down. And we were there because our YouTube influencers played the game, shared it with their communities. And in aggregate, we didn't have any celebrities or famous people or well-known, uh, even gamers. We had people that had 100,000 YouTube subscribers, maybe – uh, 200,000, and I saw that if you have an aggregate of influencers, that that is more important than actually having one keynote you know, celebrity that you may have to even pay to endorse your product because this was mm-hmm. authentic. And right. they actually loved the game, and they did it because they enjoyed it, not, and they were pursuing ad dollars because they could make money on the videos, but ultimately they weren't getting paid by Minecraft to actually play the game. Right. I get it. So, so talk a little bit about just for people who aren't 100% sure exactly what influencing is, because you just touched on it, right, about these guys that had some followers on YouTube, and, but it was nobody famous. They weren't famous, and none of their followers were famous. And so how, how does, just for the general person, how, how does influencing work, and what is it? Well, the, first of all, the word influencer has been stolen by a bunch of no-talent zeros. People that just get a bunch of Instagram likes, have a bunch of Twitter followers, and they get paid to tweet because they get a bunch of impressions. And those people have really stolen the name, and a lot of it's been sullied over the last couple years in the advertising world. 
Um, so often when I give talks, I have to get in front of the word itself because when I wrote the book, the word influencer meant something different. And mm -hmm. I'm a firm believer that influence, if you have a straight line of people with zero influence to others with lots of influence, and you look at this um, on a continuum, that zero influence is, is being alone, building by yourself in a garage, in your basement, when your kids are asleep, and collaboration is what grows your influence. And the more you collaborate, or what I call a collab, and that's what YouTubers call it, then the more you grow your influence. And ultimately, where the thesis lies is once you figure out you know, who you are, what your story is, and then you, you pitch yourself to present yourself to other collaborators, um, then ultimately your influence just multiplies. And that's really what we saw on YouTube, and that's, that's how it works for any product launch when you're trying to really level up your game. So then, okay, so that leads into what I want to talk about next. Is So how, how can product-based designers use influencing to get their brand more known, you know, meaning clothing designers or accessory designers, people who sell products either on Amazon, Etsy, on their own website, in stores at Macy's or Nordstrom's or something. And, you know, because a lot of times, especially stores, right, they, they, they rely on you, right? Kind of like book publishers, you know, we were talking about they rely on you to, public, to help promote your products in the store, right? They're not necessarily taking out advertising and saying, yo, Susie's stuff is in our store. They're, they're wanting you to push that, you know? And, and I, you know, when I had my handbag company, there was no Google or anything then. It was a really long time ago. But even when I, but I, I knew about influencers back then, and I just, because I had a massive mailing list for, you know, the size of my company back then, we probably had like 7,000 subscribers on our constant contact at the time. And they were just people who had bought, you know, online from us or had been to a sample sale or somehow we didn't even have like any kind of lead magnet or anything. But um, yeah. I barely had a website, right? But this is, I knew this is old like, when I, old school, but when I was going to New York to do a trunk show, for example, right, at Henry Bendel's or somewhere, I would email everybody and say, because I, I didn't know where these people lived, and I'd be like, hey, I'm going to be in New York doing a trunk show, you know, tell a friend or send a friend to get you a bag or whatever, we're doing specials. And people would come and say, oh, you know, my daughter, <laughs> I'm in visiting from Dallas, and my daughter sent me to come to buy a bag for her and meet you. You know, will you sign the little hang tag or something? You know, and it, it was it was that early influencing, right, of getting people to talk about people, right? You want because your biggest fans are the people who've purchased from you in the past, no matter what it is, right? And they're always going to talk a blue streak about you if they like you or like your product, right? And so, absolutely, you know, and so. I was driving the traffic to the stores that way. You know, hey, I'm going to be in the store. Come visit me. You know, and I didn't really know what I was doing. I just thought it sounded like a good idea. But so now, obviously, with the ease of the Internet now, and you can do, you know, and social media and all that stuff, how, how, do, how do product designers use influencing, you know, to, to do all that stuff in your fabulous modern way? <laughs> Yeah, well, the, uh, the first thing is to debunk, debunk a couple myths. One is people think that celebrities are influencers, and they're not necessarily the same thing, and that influence is really defined through often a very uh, specific niche 
and something that's very specific. So if you have a, a product and you want a fashion influencer to, to uh, share it with their community to collaborate, you don't want, and you have a shoe, you don't want to go off the bat and pitch some big celebrity that may charge you $25,000. Uh, right. You want to find an aggregate of shoe influencers because the Internet is so specific right now, you could find a lot of YouTube creators or content makers or bloggers that really fit that paradigm. And also, influence is not defined by vanity metrics like followers or uh, impressions or likes even. And so ignore all those metrics and think about the authentic connection you have with people. And representative of yourself, think about that your credibility is on the line with these influencers. And so you need to figure out the right market fit for what you're creating. And I always recommend that you ignore follower counts and you really think about the content that they're generating and how that collaboration can work with you. Um, and the third thing is, you know, in line with the, the lack of followers and not you know, ignoring it, is thinking about creating more of an ambassador community of people. Mm. And ambassadors are different than influencers and in that ambassadors will talk about your product. And there's also power users, right? And the community building manifesto, uh, you know, think about ambassadors, they talk. Um, power users are the people that use your product. They could buy it the most. They could have 10 bags. But they could tell no one about your 10 bags. And so you really want to get to know your community very well. And I, I, also, I always recommend to look inward first. Because if you have a community of people, you know, I, I created a paradigm when I wrote the book around uh, what I call the 10-1-89 rule. And this is based on an old theory of Wikipedia. I, I don't mean to get technical, but it's good for background because w when Wikipedia came out, um, back when you were using constant contacts for your email right. ad addresses, right. they, uh, they had a, there was a 1% rule of 1% of the in Wikipedia consumers w were writing the content, 10% were editing and curating the content, and 89% were lurkers. Right? So mm -hmm. most of us are lurkers. Mm -hmm. And when I look at people launching products, whether it's a bag or um, any, any fashion accessory jewelry, you want to ignore 89% of the audience and your customer base and, and don't focus on the lurkers. And I want you first to think about focusing on the 10 percenters, who I call your collaborators. And they're your people that, if you think about you know, your product launch, like with your trunk shows, like think about your, your regulars. The people mm -hmm. that would show their friends or the ones that would convince their moms to go and, and get a bag signed. Or, you know, if, if you hosted a happy hour, think about who would come and bring their friends. Right. Some people come for the music. Some people come for the beer. Some people come for the atmosphere. So once you get that base of people, influencers surface up. And in that group, have you ever seen the movie Moneyball? Yeah. So Moneyball is all about undervalued statistics and baseball. And I'll, right. I'll spare, the, spare the details um, here. Anyone can follow up afterwards, but the idea is like you don't need to think about home runs or batting average. You need to think about on-base percentage. And so right. when you look at your community, think about those undervalued influencers that could generate leads for you. Build that proof of concept out, the relationships with them. Maybe they're the ambassadors that share the product out and talk about it. Then pitch your influencers. And don't go for celebrities. Go for the niche people. Build your social proof. It's, it's like launching a podcast. You don't pitch Venus Williams for episode one. You wait right. to build social proof to get people to validate it, and then go after the influencers. And I, and I, I don't recommend finding zombie tweeters. You don't want the walking dead. You can't think about people that are just going to do this because they're getting paid or because they're being told to 
or they feel like they're doing you a favor. You'd like people to opt in and truly collaborate with you rather than just tweeting out something because they feel like they should. Mm-hmm. That totally makes sense. So how, how do you find like these, because I, like, I love the idea of specifically of finding like a niche influencer. Like let's just, you had mentioned shoes, so let's just stick with shoes as the example. So like how, how do you find those um, influencers that are niche to the shoe community? Yeah, I think I have a, I have a three-step process for finding your influencers. And the first step is to define your big vision of what you're presenting to people and how you're going to pitch yourself, present yourself, put your, your best foot forward. And so let's say you're using shoe example and you're designing a sandal. And that sandal is for beach wear. And it's for potentially people that are going out at night and it's a warm climate. So you have this big vision. Okay, I want people to be comfortable and think about the story around what your product is, right? So your, your big vision and go big with it. Be, be bold. And influencers are impressed with boldness. You mentioned the influencer economy for my book title. And we, you know, I was talking to you earlier about how that was an ego stroke. I didn't realize it at the time. But if I'm pitching my influencers, then I could pitch them, say, hey, come on my podcast, be a part of this book. And they would think, oh, I'm an influencer in the economy. I'd love to learn more. And mm-hmm. so go bold with your vision and wrap a really strong message around it and, and think about that as your big vision. Then two is think, pick your platform. What's your channel? What's your end game? Where do you want to reach these influencers and where do they live? And so for some people, your, pa- your channel could be you want podcasters to collaborate with. You know, other folks, they may need a YouTuber or they may need a public speaker or they may need someone that can host you know, um, events when they go on a, a trunk show tour. Um, so yeah, if you have that very specific niche that you're thinking about with shoes, like make a, a database. And I, I, I say database is just a fancy way of saying a spreadsheet. Right, and, and a list. Like a, yeah. a list, right? I, yeah. say matrix, I say matrix too, and people are like, oh, great, that sounds really fancy. No, it's called an Excel. But yeah, yeah, it's a list. Yeah. It's a list, yeah. Um, and then and write out, you know, what I, I, I always think, you know, what's your ask and what's your give, right? Mm-hmm. And so once you make your list, you get your niche influencers across the board and really think about your identity and your brand and what are you going to give them? And for a lot of your listeners, I imagine it would be you'd give them the sandal. You'd give them the shoe, right? right. Free you'd product. the pr- you see the product. I love free stuff. You know, who right. doesn't? I love opening right. it. They're all, all those unboxing videos. Yeah, all those unboxing videos on YouTube. Have you seen them? They're getting <laughs> hundreds of people. Psychologically, I read an article that people love to open stuff, and it makes them happy. Oh, yeah. And, I love it. And, you know, so people love getting stuff. And so you make your list, and then you think, what's, so with this example, your, your give would be the shoe. Right. And then what are you asking for? That's the last stage. What are you asking for? And that's so important because sometimes you don't want to pitch them in a way where they feel obligated to share it to their network. And so for my, one of my examples of my book was I wanted book blurbs. And that's not asking people to tweet about my book. It's not asking people to share it to their list. It's saying, hey, can you endorse this with your name? That's more currency for me at this very moment in my life than you sharing it out on Twitter where maybe five people would buy a book. Right. And so that, that, that ask a lot of people bungle because they go after these big ticket influencers like a Kim Kardashian. And I've done the research and don't ever pay Kim Kardashian for a tweet 
her tweets yeah. convert like half of a percent. She's garbage. <laughs> no offense to Kim if you're listening. Um, and same with Ryan Seacrest. His Instagram likes are, are less than 1% per follower. So yes, they have mm. massive reach, but they're, very, they're like saccharin. They're chewing gum. They're sugar where you get a quick surge. And right. maybe the first two days you get a big um, growth. But influence is really over time. And mm-hmm. thinking about with your niche, if you get a lot of very specific people that are shoe uh, reviewers on YouTube for your sandal or, you know, want, and they don't have a huge following, there's a good chance they may not want any money and they just love getting stuff. Right. Who doesn't? Uh, so, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, really. Uh, when my kids were little, people used to just send us box loads of baby clothes and all kinds of barrettes and stuff. It was awesome. Um, so I have a question. When you are – let's just say you're looking at a, uh, a YouTube uh, reviewer or something, right? And she's like, you're, she wears all kinds of shoes and you're just totally stoked and you're like, yeah, I'm going to send, I'm going to contact her. Do you, but she doesn't have a ton of followings. It's not like, you know, her videos haven't been seen, you know, a million times or things like that. Do you, do you look at, because I do this and I don't know if this is, dumb or not but do you look at people's social sites like let's say you know you're looking at an instagrammer right who promotes stuff do you look at their other social channels and kind of feel out their whole brand before you would approach somebody to because you know just because somebody might not have a lot of instagram followers or something could be killing it on facebook and get tons of shares and post likes and comments and stuff you know not everybody rocks it all over the place right um, so yes, how, I mean, how do you I, kind I, of weed through all that? It's hard. It's noisy out there. And I like to invent money ball stats and look at the undervalued data. And so followers don't always tell the whole story. And you can buy followers. Like right. I, I had a, someone I worked with that bought a bunch of Ukrainian followers, you know, from content <laughs> farms. And that's not too uncommon. And so then I went into her Instagram and her content wasn't very real. It wasn't authentic. It wasn't really um, – she had a, a clothing company. And so I worked with her to say, hey, do you need to share snapshots of your life and, and real moments of people wearing your product, including yourself? Mm-hmm. And she was doing a lot of inspirational quotes and you know, a lot of magazine covers and things that were more superficial. And I went down to her likes, and she was getting less than 100 likes per post. And she had 25,000 Instagram followers. Mm. And that's, that's BS. You know, that's just right. – And so you really got to think about, like, how many comments people get. I love making – I did a report for a client where I, I assessed uh, three YouTubers to see if we want to collaborate together. And I made a bunch of stats up, like, what's their like per subscriber count on videos, right? What's their comment per video view? What are their average video views uh, per video? And then how many um, views in aggregate do they get a month? And right. those are unconventional versus just, oh, they have a million subscribers. They must be an influencer. Got it. Okay. So, so, what, so like what I do is, is a good thing, right? It, investigating everybody's – I mean, not just looking at people's subscribership or YouTube video viewership or how many people follow their channel, but you also need to be concerned with what the interaction is and actually the social share. Like, 
not even just the sharing of it, but but looking at the interaction and the level. Does that is that kind of what level? Oh yeah, totally. Men, measures yeah, the I, level of their influence, yeah. right? Because like you were Absolutely. saying, any, anybody can buy a hundred thousand followers or whatever, but if they don't give two hoots about you and never look at anything or comment or share it or like it or share it with or have a community that they can then share it with that cares yeah. that they liked it, right? And it, and so on down the domino effect, right? Then it's it's useless. 100%. No, I, I should have been more direct in saying what you're doing is not dumb and it is 100% the right approach and we need to think methodically when we want mm-hmm. to find ways to collaborate to grow our influence. Mm-hmm. And channels matter the most, right, where people have reach and communities and people that, that respect their opinion. Right. And you can't just get that data by scanning someone's channel and saying, oh, they have a million subscribers or they have 100,000 followers. And doing due diligence matters because equally when you pitch the influencer and if you don't have, you know, a lot of us don't have warm introductions to people that are YouTube, Instagram, or whatever, Snapchat influencers. So if you do a cold pitch, which is a great approach, I highly recommend it, you need to know who they are and really spend the time getting to know their content so then they do want to opt in to collaborate with you. Right. Right. Um, Okay. Phew. (laughs) Yeah, no, well, you're, by the way, I mean, you're, you're, very, you're a very good interviewer. Well, I mean, um, <laughs> thank you. But, but the thing that's funny is, you know, you never know. I'm glad, I could, so I'm glad I could give you a relief, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm just like, woof, um, because, you know, you just don't know, right? I mean, like, I kind of twiddle along and do, you know, what my gut and instinct tells me to do. And sometimes I read articles, and I'm like, oh, I should be doing that, you know, or – oh, that's such a clever idea, and let me look into it. But I, I think that a lot of people are afraid, right? Like you're, you're not afraid to tell people what to do, like when you, you know, talk, like you're giving all this advice right now and you're not skirting the subject and stuff. But I think that a lot of the people that write about these things don't really tell you like the hardcore nitty-gritty about it. They kind of skirt about what you should do because, they really just want you to hire them, and they don't want to tell you how to do it. And I, I love that you're just so willing to just tell people, this is what you need to do. I mean, obviously, it's what you do for a living, and you want people to hire you to help them. But, um, and people who do are really serious about it or can't do it themselves or don't have an interest in it or you know, want the expert will seek somebody out, just like people seek me out when they do. And, and that... Um, and it's the authenticity, which is, seems to be the key of what you've been talking about that really makes the difference when you're contacting somebody. Because, like, people can tell, right? If you, if you write to this shoe blog, shoe, let's say, YouTube chick, right? And she's, you're like, oh. Let's, uh, uh, you know. let's just call her, actually, let's call her channel YouTube chick. Yeah, or, uh, channel shoe, YouTube chick. Shoe, shoe YouTube. YouTube chick. I mean, that's yeah. a great example because it helps to think about it that way. Like, right. There probably is someone that is like that that you would of love course. to collaborate with. Totally, just like there's the, the makeup chick and the handbag chick and the girl who likes dresses and all that kind of stuff, and there's tons of them out there. You can find tons. And there's different, like, there's different types of there's Could be like plus-size makeup uh, chick or, you know, Asian makeup chick. I had this yep. remarkable a conversation with a, a YouTuber who was uh, telling me that she was adopted and she's Asian and her parents were white and she never had anyone show her how to put on makeup. 
ever. <laughs> and it's very as an different. Asian person, yeah. until she looked at YouTube, and she taught herself right. how to wear her makeup differently than how she was brought up. Yeah. And so there's so many great underserved communities that aren't in the mainstream that could be absolutely 100% authentic to your community if you just do the due diligence to find them. Exactly. And, and really being, I think one of the, do you ever um, like comment back to people like, hey, I saw your video about this and my product is similar to it or completely different or whatever the comparison is, but just so that they know that you actually pay attention and watch their videos or make some kind of commentary about. Oh, my, I have, a, I have an example from this morning. i um, working with a client and we couldn't reach this influencer on YouTube. And I had an idea. I thought, well, this guy has a Patreon account. You know, Patreon, for those that don't know, it's a way for you to pay people as a patron that are content makers. Mm. And so you, it's like crowdfunding on Kickstarter or Indiegogo. However, instead of making a big movie, you subscribe to someone and, and pay them every month, and you get perks in return. And this guy was ignoring us. So I was like, okay, you know what, I'm going to buy a signed T-shirt from him. And they emailed me my T-shirt size. <laughs> and now we're pitching back in the email because we're a patron. We're part right. of this community. And so I highly recommend comment, join their tribes, their networks. I mean, think about people that leave an iTunes review for you and they email you. Or I get all the time people leave me Amazon reviews and they email me and they ask me a question and I'm, 100% more likely to respond to that person than someone who hasn't invested in me. Sure. There's, a, there's so many people out there that it's, it's noisy, and if you can stand out and interact with folks, and don't be spammy or stalker or lurker, you know, yeah. you don't want to be that, but if you can, if you, it's all about conversation, and I'm a constant believer in that life is one big conversation with people, and you may not talk to someone for 10 years, but then you see them again and pick it up where you left off. Right. And so even if you meet someone at a conference, I've had people that I pitched that I met at a conference three years ago. We had a dinner in a group, and then I cold pitched them for a collaboration, and they said, oh, my, I totally remember you. Right. And, and I actually called Larry, long, I called Larry King's radio show when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, this, is, this is a separate story, but it, it ties back to the conversation and collaboration. So I was a little kid. I called his radio show from Iowa, and I had a nickname for myself, the Red Baron. <laughs> and uh, I had a very high-pitched voice because I was 11 years old. And Larry invited me to dinner when I was in Washington, D.C., visiting from Iowa. And then I saw him another time, and, you know, I was 15, he invited me to his TV show. And funny enough, three months ago, I met a friend of a friend who goes to breakfast with Larry King every morning in Beverly Hills. And <laughs> I, I know exactly he, where he goes to breakfast, too. Yeah, to Nate now. Yeah. And... Uh, I had breakfast with Larry King, and I said, Larry, I'm the Red Baron. I used to call your radio show. <laughs> and he said, he said, you're welcome at breakfast anytime, Red Baron. And That's he was joking awesome. that he, he's like, he said, I'm wearing a red jacket because you're the Red Baron. And, <laughs> you know, we talked about the old days, and no one really knows him as a radio host. They know him as a TV personality. Sure, yeah. And so using that as an example, think about when you, you know, now in my next book, I'm going to do a chapter on Larry. Right. And bring it all full circle. So even if you have a chance encounter with someone online and you've responded to a tweet, reference the tweet and say, hey, I tweeted back at you or, hey, remember I mentioned this on Twitter. I'm following up over email. And, 
And as you know, email is the best channel to reach anyone. We all check our email. I check it in bed at night, in the morning, right. two in the morning when, <laughs> when my daughter's waking me up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're on your computer when you're pregnant with uh, twins, right? At three in the morning, so, yeah. I was, yeah. That's terrible. <laughs> my, I try to turn my phone upside over I, when I, because I sleep with it next to my bed because I don't have a phone. It's just my only phone, and it makes me feel safer to have the phone there. But I always turn it face down so that, you know, when people, because I work with a lot of people overseas, and so, you know, they're texting me or, you know, Fiverr is popping up and telling me my orders are ready and all these things. are <laughs> like bells and whistles going all night long. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wake up to like, 40 messages every morning, and so I have to turn it upside down. So it doesn't bother me. It wakes me up. Nothing worse than Fiverr waking waking you up at 4 in the morning. Exactly. And you're like, your order's ready, and you're like, who gives a shit? Couldn't (laughs) couldn't that wait, please? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Send me the email digest. Right. My my order's ready. It's awesome. (laughs) Um, Yeah, and uh, you're right, because I have a... I'm a, I'm a list maker, so I like to check, I like to check it off. <laughs> Woohoo, it's done. Um, or you can call them matrixes and really impress people. Right. Know? Yeah, my, my people would be like, a who? I mean, that's when I hear the word <laughs> matrix. I'm like, you mean a list? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, remember, I started when there was no Google. <laughs> True. Um, you're yeah, old, you're had, old school. I'm totally old school. And now I just like say to people, like, you don't know how easy it is, right? I mean – store buyers weren't even on email, right? And neither were magazine editors when I first started, you know, and because um, and I started my handbag company in 1997. And so I had just gotten on email myself, you know. And Match.com was like the newest, hottest thing in L.A., <laughs> you know. And your online dating was just like the newest thing out there. And, uh, you know, but there was no Google. Yahoo. Yeah, and <laughs> we had Yahoo, and and and, and you had uh, geosites, and people were just using Blogspot, you know, Blogger. Yeah, and, I, uh, never, I didn't even know about a blog, and I think a couple of years later, maybe there was Squarespace or something. Um, right, that was and, and that's the thing about later. these principles, though. You know, they worked back then, and they they still work now. Like our psychology right. hasn't changed; it's just the the platforms have. The platform has changed, exactly. And so it's funny because, you know, it's, it, there were a few years, right, where everything was developing so quickly. And, you know, you're like, oh, my God, oh, my God, I got I to get onto this thing, and now I got to learn that one. And there's, you know, so many things that you, as a business owner, that you need to be aware of, right, and, and learn. Like I always say to people, you don't have to do everything for yourself, but you need to know how it's done so that you can, tell other people how to do it for you. Because if you, if you just kind of walk through blindly, right, and it's, you know, so many people want to outsource, like, to their assistant or somebody who doesn't really know what they're doing or, like, a VA on Upwork or Fiverr or something. Can you find all my influencers for me, you know, yeah. and without doing any due diligence and, and finding, you know, here's, here's 10 that I found. Can you find me some more like this, right? And then, of course, knowing you're going to have to go through the list and look at them all, but at least you didn't have to do the research to find them. But then I always feel like in that research finding moment, right, like remember, you know, when blogs first came out, everybody had a blog role, right? So you could see what other blogs they liked, 
So if you that's like, huge, you know, and it was huge, and you just go down the rabbit hole, right? And if you like, were on, if you were, if you were given a shout out, you know, in someone's blog role, then it was big for your site, right? And and that you could, but you could also find like-minded people, right? Like mm-hmm. you know, somebody who makes you know baby clothes is going to like all the people who make all the other baby stuff, and then you're like, wow, I just this website, you know, this blog has every baby product I'm ever going to need because they've connected you to all these other people, right? And so, it, you know, so, but when you, but in the old days when they had all that and you would throw it off on somebody else, you didn't get that experience of going down your own rabbit hole and seeing authentically, right, what actually resonates with you. And I feel kind of like I, I learned, I learned, you know, in the old days and that I, I have this, um, uh, I don't know, this sort of like old memory if that's how you do it. Um, and so I tend to, personally, I tend to not push that stuff off, you know, on other people to do for me um, because I always feel like I miss, I might be missing out if I'm not doing it myself. A hundred percent. I think I have a client now that we're using a, a virtual assistant to find influencers and it is a pain and before this guy worked with me, the client, he had the VA sending out emails from his account to pitch influencers. And they were the worst emails ever. They were embarrassing. And, <laughs> you know, when you're having someone who doesn't necessarily understand the, the power of the English language, yeah. and they're using, you know, words that don't make sense in the context, even though grammatically they do or, you know, but the vernacular is so different from someone who lives in the you know, Philippines and right. someone that lives in, you know. And so I just was like, dude, you got to reframe this. You know, you need to get, they can do the research, but we have to vet the, the people that we're pitching. And you need to hit send on every email. Maybe they can tee right. up a draft for you. But to, to outsource your name, like this is your email. This is your company. This is your brand. You can't outsource that stuff. And if you, if you think that you can hire a VA, and you're only getting that person for a couple bucks an hour, you're paying for a couple bucks an hour of work. And right, if you a don't level, do it yourself, the level. Right. The level. And ultimately, yeah. a lot of us, like, you know, traditional PR, you hire companies to do all the work for you. Um, but unfortunately, those companies own the relationships, right? right. So PR companies equally. Like, you, you want to control these relationships because you want to build a long-term relationship with an influencer, you know, and have five years or ten years of collaboration. Um, and, and you actually just reminded me, when I was at Disney, we, uh, we pitched uh, the Jonas Brothers. They were, you know, a big mm-hmm. thing back yeah. in the day. And I remember. We, uh, we, would get their, yeah, we would get their exclusive videos. And we pitched Perez Hilton and um, uh, Pink, Pink is the New Black, I think was this guy's name, and Just Jared. These yep. are all very, like, entertainment-y sites. And we would get these people to feature the Jonas Brothers, like, the second they went on. And the, the, we give them a, a, an exclusive, right? Because people love exclusives. So it's going to be on your site for, for 24 hours, and then we go, go wide with it. And it was funny because we called this tastemaker outreach, right? Mm-hmm. Talking about the vernacular, how everything's the same. Right now it's pitching influencers. But back then we would sell it you know, for $25,000, and companies would buy us to do tastemaker outreach because they had no idea – that they could reach out to these influential leaders, right? They thought that these people were searchers and curators and just find stuff online, which is part of it. 
But so many influencers want to be on the cutting edge. They yes. want to be known, and they want to be seen as someone who's with uh, the current market. And so if you can find those people that have that curiosity, then you're even better because they're the ones that are looking for people like you and your products. And you're, if you're a YouTube chick, gal, the shoe YouTuber, then you know, you, maybe that person has that early adopter mentality where they want to know what's next. Right. Totally. Oh, my God. This has been so fun talking to you. And I want you to tell my listeners where they can find you and if you have any awesome freebies or anything that they can find on your site. Yeah, totally. I can uh, send people, you know, if they would love to check out my site or be interested at all, it's at uh, influencereconomy.com. And, uh, yeah, I can, I can make a custom link for the show and uh, have people uh, – click on it. I give them a, my influencer economy pitch templates. So it's three templates you could drag and drop to pitch people. And it's how to show your social proof, write a killer headline, and define uh, what your uh, give is to the influencer. So I can do that. What would be a good URL for your site? Well, you'll just make it up and I'll just Yeah, I'll make it, it up podcast. at influencereconomy.com yeah. slash something. Get a street smart MBA. Or Sarah about, Shaw. Uh, <laughs> Sarah Shaw. Let's do that. Perfect. Yeah, perfect. Okay. So influencereconomy.com slash Sarah Shaw. And then you can, you can find my book on Amazon, uh, Influencer Economy, and then you know, my, my iTunes podcast as well as Influencer Economy. Awesome. And I can't wait to be on your podcast this summer. And I just want to thank you so much. This was so fun and so informative. And I'm all psyched to go find influencers for myself now. Thank you so much. Totally. Thank you for having me. Thanks for tuning in to A Street Smart MBA with Sarah Shaw. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes to get the latest episodes anytime, anywhere. And we'll see you on the next one.